0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, December 30th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Should a Facebook post land you in jail? What if you're a sex offender? Should the government have the power to keep you off the internet long after you've served your time? Cato Institute adjunct scholar and Volokh conspiracy blogger David Post discusses the Packingham case that will go before the U.S. Supreme Court
1: next year. People, law enforcement, but also the public, uh, had a right to... Know what is, after all, public information, namely that uh, so and so uh, has been was convicted of a sex crime in the past. Um, So the original uh, statutes were all notification statutes. They required people to register to say where they lived. Um, The police register with law enforcement. Uh, Law enforcement would then make that information public. They would inform. Uh, neighbors. They would put it up on a website uh, that so and so, who was uh, convicted of such and such a crime uh, so many years ago, is now living in your neighborhood. And the uh, idea was that that would help people protect themselves, and it would alert the police on the on the theory that these people are more likely to be recidivists. Um, it would also help the police to investigate if there were any any problems in, in the neighborhood. It has become. Um, It's gone way beyond, uh, in virtually all states, it has gone way beyond that original disclosure rationale. Most states now have some regime uh, that involves prohibitions on particular kinds of activity, and and in the in the in the truly awful ones, and some are truly awful. Um, this means you can't live in certain places within a thousand feet of a church, within a thousand feet of a school. Some states make it unlawful for you to enter the, enter a school, uh, or a church, or a playground, or a library, um, unless you have some exemption because your if your child is in the if you have a child in the school, you can go meet with the his or her teacher, but you cannot enter the school for other reasons. Um, And many states have uh, the focus of this case, the Packingham case, at the Supreme Court uh, is a, a prohibition on using the internet, um, uh, accessing social media, uh, social networking sites, and that too is a feature of of twenty or thirty of the of the different states have similar provisions like that. So it's gone way beyond the just the idea that we are informing the public. Uh, about these people, which was constitutionally troublesome in and of itself, quite, quite frankly. But, um, but they've gone w- way beyond the borders of that and are now really prohibitions on uh, kinds of activity that cover people who have um, uh, been convicted of these crimes in the past. And importantly, the statutes cover people who are out of the criminal justice system now. They have served their sentences. They are no longer in s- supervised release. They're not on parole. They're not on pr- probation. They are as free as you or I. They have all the constitutional rights that you or I have. Um, and yet, they are subject to these uh, really debilitating um, uh, schemes that make it very difficult for these people to reintegrate into into the world.
0: To some extent, uh, if, correct me if I'm wrong, it- some people who moved from one state to another, who had found themselves on, let's say, a 10-year registry, would move to another state and
1: find themselves on a lifetime Lifetime registry. registry. That's right. States have very complex, I cannot uh, overstress how complicated these statutory regimes are, Um, and you're right, that states have different ways of dealing with people who were, um, uh, uh, convicted of a crime in another state or on the registry in another state, and and it can lead to a lot of people get caught. And we are talking about—it's um, about 850,000 people now in the United States are on uh, one or another of the state sex offender registries. Um, and some of them— are clearly uh, troublesome and menacing, um, frightening people. I guess I want to know if they move in next door to me, some of them, uh, because they've done truly terrible things in the past. A lot of them, however, the majority of them are really not. Um, uh, a quarter of the people on the registry are there because of crimes they committed while they were juvenile. So a 17-year-old has sex with a 16-year-old Um, which I'm told happens uh, on occasion in this country, um, uh, that's a crime in most states. Um, And that can get you on the registry, and that can get you on the registry for life. And about a quarter of the people on the registry are there for things like that, States have different requirements. Some put you on the registry for public urination, for exposing your genitals, for sexting, uh, sending naked pictures of yourself uh, to your friends, for all sorts of things that I think, while they may be criminalized, um, are hardly the sorts of things that should subject someone to this terrible regime of oppressive of lifetime regulation, Um, but that's what has happened. And obviously, the politics of this is such that nobody wants to be, no state legislator wants to be the friend of sex offenders. Um, so the, the more, the merrier. The, the Sort of the burdens just go up and up and up and up, year to year to year to year.
0: So what is the constitutional question here, really?
1: The constitutional question in the Packingham case, in mean, these cases you could do, I've, I've told my friends, I'm no longer teaching, I was a law professor for many years, I'm no longer doing that, but I've told my friends who are still professing uh, in the academy that you could literally run an entire constitutional law course based on these uh, cases. They raise ex post Questions they raise serious due process questions. Um, the issue in the in the Packingham case is a First Amendment um, issue. They, the uh, North Carolina prohibits accessing what they call commercial social networking sites, which they have defined. It covers all of the things you think of as the social networking sites, Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, etc um, And it probably covers a much wider swath. The definition is very broad. Um, it covers any place where you can post a profile uh, of yourself and communicate with other users. So it probably covers Amazon, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, lots of of sites like that, um, persons on the individuals on the North Carolina sex offender registry, and again, this could be someone who was who was convicted of public urination in Alabama 18 years ago, um, cannot access it is a cr- it is a crime, a class one felony, uh, to access a social networking site uh, in North Carolina if you are on uh, the North Carolina registry, and we are arguing. That or the petitioners here are arguing that um, that infringes their First Amendment right. That that deserves the strictest possible scrutiny. That this is this affects their ability to communicate with the nation, really, with their neighbors, with their friends, to participate in political activities, to run a soccer team, to do a million things that are in the core of First Amendment protection. Um, they are. They are excluded from that and that the state, if the state wants to do that, they have to satisfy the most exacting uh, First Amendment scrutiny, which the court did not apply. The North Carolina court, which upheld this statute, uh, applied something much weaker, to put it mildly, than than the strict scrutiny that I think that this— uh, uh, that the, that this statute really requires. When does the court hear the case? Court hears the case. The briefs are due uh, at the end of December. Uh, I'm not sure if it has been scheduled yet. It'll probably be in March, I think, the, uh, uh, the oral arguments. And um, I think it's an opportunity uh, for the court to make— uh, I think it's a good case, actually, for the court to make some very good— strong uh, first amendment law
0: at least to clarify a, a lot of these questions about uh, ex post facto uh, punishments about uh, due process and things like that because the question that comes to my mind is if these people are uh, deemed dangerous somehow Uh, And I believe the court used the term "sexually dangerous" uh, recently in a in a different context. But if these people are deemed dangerous, why aren't they in jail? Well, (laughs) and if they're not if if they're not a a fitting uh, person to be in a jail cell, then why are we punishing? Why are are we punishing them?
1: them? Um, The interesting thing about that, and I I I agree with you. I think that is a core. Issue in all of these cases um, is the 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 state, even if the state has evidence that you are in a class of people, let us let us assume that let us, let us, let us take what the states will say, which is that this is a class of persons who are more likely than others to commit a sex offense in the future. Uh, There's lots of debate about the statistics on that, but put the debate about that aside. Let's assume that that's true, that if you have these 850,000 people um, in the aggregate are more likely to commit in in the aggregate uh, a sex offense in the future than, say, 850,000 randomly selected people from the population. Let's assume that that is correct. Um, Why does that give the state uh, the the right to abridge? Uh, I mean, what relevance is that? The fact that you are a member of a class, uh, what uh, relevance does that have for the state's ability to deprive you of uh, the right to live where you want, the right to work where you want, the right to use the internet the way you want, et cetera? Um, There are a lot of... I think this is a critical issue coming up in the next uh, uh, half decade. Um, This is a surveillance question among other things. In in an age of algorithmic policing, I saw recently that Chicago is now using big data to target uh, surveillance on particular neighborhoods and on particular individuals um, because they have information that these people are more likely than others uh, to to commit crimes. That's a very without an individualized determination. It's one thing to say, Mr. X, we have had a hearing, and Mr. X is a danger to himself or to others. And as a consequence of that, we are going to impose certain restrictions on where he can live and where he can work. As opposed to what they actually do, they don't do that. What they do is say, well, you're in this class of people. Um, we're not going. We have made an individualized determination that you are more likely, you know, you had sex with your 16-year-old girlfriend, um, or you urinated in public or something. We haven't made any determination. We are simply saying that because you are a member of a class, um, we can impose certain uh, obligations on you that would otherwise be clearly unconstitutional. This is gonna come up in a million different contexts now because there are many classes of people who are more likely than others. Young black males are more likely than others to commit crimes. We know that statistically. So does that mean we can just sort of keep them off the internet? Or people who travel to uh, Arab-speaking countries are probably more likely. Muslims are probably more likely, in the aggregate, as a class, uh, but we don't allow the, the state should not be permitted to take that into account in, in deciding that you don't get the constitutional rights that your neighbor, that your neighbor gets. I think that's a very, very serious constitutional problem. David Post is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute and a blogger at the
0: Vola Conspiracy. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play and with Cato's iOS app, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.